Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to finish this chapter today. We started it last week looking at verses 13 through 20. So the title of this morning's message is Hearing the Spirit of Truth. You're going to see that in the verses that I'm about to read. I try to get my titles from the message. I try not to have some title that has nothing to do with the text. And so I feel like the best titles are ones that literally you see in Scripture. And and I want to show you this morning an important, a lot of important truths, but let's take a look now in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For this cause... Also, thank we God. Now, who's the we? This is, this is Paul. This is Timothy. This is Silas. They're thanking God without ceasing because when ye, who's ye? That's the church in Thessalonica. Remember, I gave you the background of the Thessalonica church. Uh, when Paul and Silas were in Thessalonica, there was a riot. They wanted to kill Paul. He escaped with his friends, but unfortunately, Jason, who was housing Paul and, his, uh, and the others, were dragged out in the street. But fortunately, God watched over them. They survived. Now, the Apostle Paul's writing back a letter uh, in reference to that time that he spent with them. He says, so we are grateful when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us. Ye received it not as the word of men. You recognize that what we were telling you was special. You recognize right away that as we were speaking, these words could not have been something you made up, you conjured in your own mind. These words had to have been given to you, and you were just repeating them. Who gave you these words? Where did they come from? And the Apostle Paul says, I'm so very grateful that when you heard us speak, you saw and you understood that what we spoke was from God. The Word of God which effectually worketh also in you that belief. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen. You've been afflicted. You've been persecuted by your own countrymen, but not just your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. He says, verse 15, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us. And they please not God and are contrary to all men. He said, you've been attacked for your beliefs. You've been persecuted for the truth you stand on, the truth you've embraced. You've been attacked by those who once called you friend, by those who are in your community, Jews and Gentile alike. Just as the Jews attack us in Jerusalem, so do they in Thessalonica attack you. But not just the Jews, even the Gentiles attack you. Why? Because the truth you're bringing attacks their choices. The truth you're bringing states that worshiping false idols is a sin. And some were making a living out of selling idols. They don't like the fact that your truth affects their lifestyle, affects their income. They're making a money, they're making a fortune out of making wooden figures and selling them at high prices to extremely religious but also deceived people. And they don't like that your truth is affecting their bottom dollar. It says in verse 15, who both killed the Lord Jesus, right? But not only did they persecute you and persecute us, they first persecuted Christ. And didn't Christ warn, if they hated me, they'll hate you. If they attacked me, they'll attack you. If they hurt me, they'll hurt you. Verse 16, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. These Jews who claim to be followers of God don't want others to know God. 
especially Christ. To fill up their sins all way. What does that mean? The Jews are just making bad choice after bad choice after bad choice. And the, the amount of sin in their life is coming to a point of overflowing in their life. And unfortunately for them, so is the wrath of God. For the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost, an extreme amount. But we, brethren, verse 17, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once again, but Satan hindered us. I wanted to return. I wanted to see you and encourage you and be encouraged by you. I wanted to give you more truth and and push you a little closer to Christ, but I was hindered. Satan hindered me. Verse 19, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? When Christ returns, won't you be there with us? Won't we greet Christ together? Won't we spend eternity together? Even though we can't be with you now physically, we are with you in heart. Our heart and our soul is with you. But we will be together, connected for eternity with Christ. For ye are our glory Enjoy. As I stated just a few moments ago, one of the best ways to encourage a pastor is to love God. Because as you love God, that lifts our hearts. And that is what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He's saying, it brings me glory and brings me joy to see you serving the Lord. Loving sincerely the Lord and embracing his truth. So let's bump back up again. Verse 13. The middle of verse 13 They said, we're praying for you without ceasing, because why? You received the word of God, which you heard of us. You received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. And the title of this morning's message, Hearing the Spirit of Truth. When we are surrounded by so much chaos, what is true? When we are surrounded by so many voices, which one is God? <laughs> when there are so many directions in, pa- in life, which, one, which path is the right one? Christians, you don't have to live in doubt. You don't have to live in concern that you took the wrong path, hearing the wrong voice, or following the wrong truth. I have heard so many times in conversation, young and old alike, the question is essentially this stated in many ways, but Pastor Russ, how do you know that what you teach is true? There's a bunch of religions out there. How do you know the one you teach is true? There's a bunch of philosophies out there. How do you know the the one that you follow is true? There's a bunch of different claims of God. How do you know your God is the right one? There's many claims of how to be saved. How do you know the one you're offering is the right claim? Well, first of all, I say let's separate philosophies and theology. When it comes to philosophy, I can be wrong. No one's going to die and go to hell because my philosophy is off. That is not nearly as big of a deal as my philosophy of how music ought to look in a worship service. No one's going to hell because of how we sing in our worship service. No one's going to hell because of my philosophy of how I should look when I, when I preach in the morning. I, I wear what I wear to not distract you. That's a philosophy. No one's going to hell because I do or do not wear a tie, because I do or do not wear a suit coat. And you know what? No one's going to hell because of what you wore this morning either. 
There are philosophies and there are theologies. Stop taking philosophy and putting it in the same boat as theology. No one's going to hell because of philosophy. Now, theology, wrong theology, that matters. So let's talk about theology, this idea of truth. And how is my truth better than someone else's truth? And the truth that I claim about God, how is that the right one when so many millions, billions of people have been preaching a different truth of God and salvation for thousands of years? How did I, Russ Smith, in a small state of Connecticut and a small town of this state, get it right? I'll tell you how the source of my truth. Let's not debate ideas. Let's not debate philosophies. Let's not debate opinions. Let's debate source of truth. The apostles stated, we are so glad that you recognize the source of our truth came from God. Well, other religions also claim their source of truth came from God. Oh, but do they? Because there's plenty of religions who say, oh, our truth came from a man. His name was Buddha. A man, his name was Joseph Smith. A man, his name was Muhammad. So they outrightly admit that their truth came from a man. And the book that they point to also claims to be written by a man. I am claiming something altogether different. I am telling you that my truth came from the Bible, and this book, although put on paper by men, the words were given by God. I am not claiming that my truth came from a man. I am claiming they came from the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, God himself. So right away, when my claim is the source of truth comes from God and their source of truth comes from man, already you cannot say we're in the same boat. Already there's a line that has been drawn and you have to decide. Do you want to follow a source of truth originated by man or a source of truth originated by God? You say, well, Russ, what, that's not fair. What kind of logic? I mean, come on, man. God didn't put the words on paper. I already admitted that. A man did, given to them by God. Well, how is your source of truth any more from God than those other men who also claim that they received from God. Fair point. So now, let's evaluate the sources of truth. Let's go down to the foundational level of truth. And if you really want to compare religions, do not compare the churches at which those religions display their faith. Compare the sources of truth that they follow. Let's compare the Bible against the Quran. Let's compare the Bible against Joseph Smith's book, the Book of Mormon. Let's compare the Bible against the many documents of Buddha or Confucianism. Let's compare the Bible against those, and then you will discover fairly easily and fairly quickly the Bible is a unique book. Don't just compare the words. You should do that. Don't just compare the words. Compare the history of these sources of truth. How long has the Bible been around? A long time. Thousands of years. How accurate is the Bible? How accurate has it maintained, been maintained over the years? We have discovered ancient manuscripts, Dead Sea Scrolls, 2,000 years old, that show us that the accuracy of the Old Testament we have in our hands today is as accurate as it was 2,000 years ago, has not changed. That's pretty accurate. The Bible does not change because the Bible is the word of God. Truth doesn't change. The Bible's been around, has been attacked, the most hated book, while also the most loved book, and it's still around, has not changed. The Bible changes lives. 
Whereas you find throughout history, people like to change other books, edit them, throw them out, cancel them, new editions. The Bible changes our lives. We don't change the Bible. We follow a strong source of truth. You say, well, Pastor Russ, other religions have a book that doesn't change. No, that's not necessarily true. Read their books. Read the Book of Mormon, and you will find real fast that the Mormons are, are and have been for decades claiming, oh, that's no longer true. We don't follow that anymore because there's some very racist things in the Book of Mormon. Read the Quran, and you will find a lot of Muslims say, well, well, we don't really follow that. Only extreme Muslims do because it's very violent, the Quran. You say, well, Pastor us, the Bible's also violent. No, no. The Bible gives us history of violence. The Bible does not ever tell the church to go out and kill people, not once. The Bible contains historical facts for us to learn from. And yes, there's violence in the Bible because mankind is violent. But the New Testament, the church, is told to love our enemies, to live in peace with those who hate us, to churn the other cheek, to go the extra mile. The greatest commandment is to love, not to kill, not to convert, to love. Compare the sources of truth, and you will know why I follow this one. You will know why I follow the book, the Bible. Well, Pastor Russ, other religions also follow the Bible. Oh, but do they? Because to claim that you're following the Bible and then for 45 minutes talk about something that's not in the Bible isn't really following the Bible. To claim that following the Bible, but then also to state that uh, the, the top individual within your religion, no matter what they call themselves, has the final authority on all actions of man, you don't really follow the Bible. You follow that final authority, which is a man. My final authority is not someone who lives in Hartford or Italy or any other part of the world. My final authority is the Bible because that's my source of truth. So to claim that other religions follow the Bible, but instead they're following men, let's call it what it is. They're following a man. And they just have the Bible out to make themselves feel better. To deceive people while claiming one thing, doing another. Follow the Bible, but don't read it for yourselves. I'll tell you what it says. Follow the Bible, but not that part, because that part is outdated. Follow the Bible, but don't follow what the Bible says. I'll tell you what the Bible should have said. So actually, when I say follow the Bible, what I mean is follow what I tell you the Bible says. Not what the Bible says. That's not following the Bible. Hearing the spirit of truth. Do you know it when you hear it? I only have two main points this morning. If you've been here a long time, you've noticed this rarely happens. Usually, I've got a lot to say, and it's usually hard to put into three points. But I knew that this morning's service would go a little longer, and so I purposely kept it to two, so here we are. Truth that separates and truth that unites. Those are the two main points. Let's break each one of them down now. Truth that separates, letter A. The truth of God Changes from the inside out, not the outside in. Verse 13. For this cause, also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. When you receive the truth, when you hear it and say, ah, that's the word of God. I, under, I know that. Well, how do you know it? Because I feel that it's true. That's not enough. 
I know it because I can see for myself that what's being said comes from the source of truth, the Bible. That's how I know it. Do not say, well, I know truth when I hear it because of the person saying it. There are some really, really uh, deceitful people who know how to say things that sound good. Don't think you are incapable of being deceived. You are. I am. Which is why you don't need to just know me and trust me. You need to know this book and trust this book. Far and above your knowledge of me and trust in me. If I had a choice between you knowing me and knowing this book, every day, all day, I'd say, know the book. If I had a choice between you trusting me and trusting this book, I'd say, what do you, don't even ask that question. Trust the book. Know the book, trust the book, and then see if what I say comes from the book. Truth of God. When you hear it and when you embrace it, Christ states the truth will set you free. Set you free from what? Set you free from addiction. Set you free from pain. Set you free from, from a, 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 a destructive lifestyle that hurts others. Set you free ultimately from the sin that drags you to hell, right? Set you free not just towards salvation, though. Sets you free after salvation. Christians also need to be free. Oh, but Pastor Russ, we're already going to heaven. What is there to free us from? What are you talking about? So much. It's called sanctification. Once you're saved, it's not that everything in your life immediately is better. It doesn't work that way. I wish it did. I wish that as soon as you got saved, everything changed and was only good all the time. It's not. Salvation just allows you to step foot on the racetrack. You now have a marathon ahead of you. And through that race, God will work in your life. God will bring victory and success if you continually apply the truth of his word. And Christians, I I would love to tell you that as soon as you're saved, you are free from everything. It doesn't happen that way. When you're saved, you're opened up to the opportunity of freedom from everything, but that happens over time. As you draw closer to God and apply the truth to your life, you will find yourself freeing yourself Well, not yourself. Christ freeing you as you apply the truth of his word. But it's inside out, not outside in. How does that apply to us? Christian, stop gauging the spiritual growth of others by what you see on the outside. The change happens on the inside first. And sometimes the outside takes more time. Sometimes the outside doesn't reflect the inside for years or longer. Pastor Russ, I don't believe it. If there's a change on the inside, I'm going to see it on the outside. Okay, God. Right? You're just a man. First of all, it's not your responsibility to determine the change in someone's life. Second of all, you don't have the eyes of God, and you obviously don't have the patience of God, so please don't play God. God will deal with his people in his time. He asks us to love them and guide them. That does not mean we enable people to self-destruction. That does not mean we pat them on the back as they hinder their own walk. It means we are available to them as they seek success. We are not the one calling out in judgment, public judgment, of what we claim to see in their life. I'm not saying you're blind. I'm saying you don't understand. Just because you see something about someone doesn't mean you understand what you see about them. And you are making assumptions with what you see. That's a dangerous game to play. Truth changes the inside. And then in time, yes, in time, God, not you, God, will begin to let that inside change reflect outside.
in his time. Letter B. The truth of God is attacked by all sides, including the religious. We saw in verses 14 and 15 how the Apostle Paul stated, hey, just like the Jews attack us, uh, your fellow countrymen, including the Jews, attack you. We're attacked from all sides. And isn't it ridiculous that the attacks are even coming from those who claim to love God, who claim to love worship, who claim to love the church. They seem to be the most vicious in their attacks against truth. Why? Because the truth we're preaching doesn't match the truth they're preaching. Now, sometimes that's a problem, because if we are talking theology, their truth is turning people to hell. Christ said to the Pharisees that when someone joins you, when you mentor someone, he says, your disciples are double the followers of Satan than you. So there are times when preaching two different truths is a big deal. And others recognize that and think they are right, you are wrong, and attack you because your truth conflicts with their truth. They don't want to be your friend. They want to be your monarch. They want you to be their subject. They don't want you to disagree with them. They want you to uplift their truth, to embrace it fully. And if you don't, they'll attack you. But when it comes to different truths philosophically, that's a fight you shouldn't be willing to even engage in. Walk away. Walk away, folks, especially if you have any inclination that the person that wants to fight you is a Christian. Why? Why would you want to cause separation by discussing truths, philosophical truths, that don't have eternal impact? You know what does have eternal impact? Attacking Christians. (laughs) When Christians attack Christians, that has eternal impact. How? Because we're too busy fighting each other in fighting. We're not busy enough fighting for Christ, fighting for our communities, fighting for our families. When you fight with someone, you don't fight for them. When you fight against God's kingdom, you don't fight for God's kingdom. You say, well, Pastor Russ, some fights are worth having. I agree. Philosophical ones, not one of them. Choose your fights because understand the impact is severe. A fight has consequences. Will I fight for truth? I sure will. Theological truth. I will fight for theological truth. Truth that has an eternal impact. I'll fight for that. But too many religious Christians, 2,000 years ago and today, they want to fight over everything, anything, because they just want to win at something. Letter C. Many will tolerate your truth until it points to Christ. Verse 16, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved to fill up their sins all way, meaning the Jews' sins are overflowing. Why? Because they are attacking the followers of Christ, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. What's going on? These Jews and Gentiles are upset Because Paul, Silas, Timothy, and the church in Thessalonica is preaching Christ. There are many people who are fairly uh, easygoing, laid back, and they will tolerate you and your truth. They will until you mention Christ. Now, some, they'll even tolerate the name of Christ as long as you define him the way they see him. 
You can say Christ, but once you start defining who Christ is from the Bible, now they say, whoa, 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 that's not the Christ I serve. Well, wait, there's only one Christ. Which one are you serving? Because <laughs> one of us is serving a false Christ then. Well, the Christ I serve would never do that. Really, he wouldn't. Can you show me in the Bible? Oh, the Bible's outdated. Ah, there's the problem. You're creating your own God and giving him the name Christ. Okay, see, I'm not doing that. I'm not creating my own God. I'm following the God that created me. That's the difference between the two of us. But once you start following Christ, the creator, as he defines himself, that's when even those who tolerate other views will be the most vicious towards you when you start preaching the Christ of the Bible. When you hear the truth, do you know it? You say, Pastor Russ, I do. Do you follow it? Pastor Russ, I do. Even when you know that it will separate you from those who don't. Ooh, that's a hard one. I really don't like standing out. I really don't like being different from the crowd. I really don't like it when other people uh, look at me because I'm not like them. That makes me uncomfortable. I get it. I truly do. No, very few people enjoy being comfortable. I've never known one. I'm not going to say they're not out there. I don't know any. Most people don't like being uncomfortable. I get it. Is there not a cause? What's the cause, Pastor Russ? Oh, the cause is the eternal soul of mankind. That's the cause. Are you willing to be a little uncomfortable that the eternal soul of one person might find Christ and be saved? Would you be willing that, that some be offended by your truth for the chance for them to hear the truth and then God use the truth to set them free from the lies? Well, Pastor Russ, no one's going to accept the truth if they're offended. I'll tell you this, no one's going to accept the truth if they don't know the truth. And no one will know the truth if they don't hear the truth. All right? Someone's got to hear it to know it. Someone's got to know it to accept it. You can't know if they'll be offended or not, but you can know this. If they don't know it, they need to know it. You, you can know that. And you can't know what God will do with the truth in their life later, but you can know this. God's truth is powerful. God's truth changes lives. God's truth sets us free. God's truth saves us. You can know all of that. Will you be an ambassador of the truth of God, even to those who will separate from you once you start speaking the truth? The Old Testament is full of men and women both who stood up and said, we're willing to speak the truth to a country, to a nation of people who hate the truth who will probably kill us for the truth, who will most definitely persecute us for the truth. But God, if you need a volunteer to speak the truth, I'm it, knowing it will separate. Christ warned us of that as he walked the earth. He said, hey, don't misunderstand. If you take the truth, they will hate you. They will hurt you. They will arrest you. They will kill you. I want you to know that. He says, I want you to know that because you need to understand if you take this path, I don't want you to be shocked when you are hurt, when you are arrested, when you are killed, when you are persecuted, don't be shocked. Be ready. The world will separate from you over truth. Number two, truth doesn't just separate, though. Truth also unites. Letter A, those who embrace God's truth are bound together in heart and spirit. Verse 17, but we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart. 
You can think about all of the relationships you lose when you embrace truth, or you can find joy in all the relationships you gain when you embrace truth. It's your choice. I have lost relationships over following truth as a young man and throughout my life. I have friends who are no longer friends. It's happened. I have family members who have not talked to me in years because I follow truth. It has happened. But look at what I've gained. And I know more, and I'm connected to more people than just those in this room because I chose truth. Those who choose truth have a unique, eternal bond with those who choose truth. (laughs) Don't be overwhelmed with sadness by the relationships lost when you follow truth. Don't be discouraged by the world who wants to separate from you when you follow truth. Instead, recognize the kingdom you joined, God's kingdom, when you accepted truth for the first time and got saved. And recognize the kingdom of God around you who supports you and is, is seared to your heart with their own because they love and follow the same truth you do. Do I regret the losses? It hurts. Yeah, when I think about it, it hurts. It's hard to consider the people who I thought loved me walk away from me because I follow truth. But I got to tell you, the joys I received from the replaced connections have far outweighed the discouragement. The love that God has brought to me and my family through his people who love truth, this room and outside this room, has far covered any pain I received from those who walked away from me. That might not be your experience. I can't say everyone in this room is my experience. I can tell you this, though. It can be your experience. One reason I have so many connections is, let's just be honest, I'm the pastor. I know more people because I'm the pastor. I get that. But listen to me. This church is amazing. You guys are amazing, not because of you. This church is amazing because of Christ, and you let Christ cover you. (laughs) You let Christ shine through you. And if you say, Pastor Russ, I don't have those connections. I'm not united in heart with God's people. There's not much you have to do. Start coming to the Bible studies. Start going to the events that we do, marriage retreats and, and escape rooms. Come to those, and I promise you, you will find connection, and this church will love you, and you will be bonded in heart with those who follow the truth that you love. Letter B. Those who desire to break the bond of believers are not sent by God. Verse 18. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. If someone is trying to break up God's church, they're not a messenger of God. If someone is trying to cause disunity in the church, God didn't send them. In fact, did you know in the Bible, literally, the Bible tells us to mark those who cause disunity. What does it mean to mark them? It means to know who they are and to make sure everyone else knows who they are. That's like a public statement of, don't listen to that person, they're a rascal, and they're trying to cause disunity. Literally, like from behind the pulpit, that's what the church was warned to do. Do not let anyone break up God's church. I wouldn't want to be in their shoes. The wrath of a father upon the one who destroyed his family? Uh Uh-uh, I'm not it. I will walk away from a church before I will break up the church. 
now. That doesn't mean there aren't sometimes you need to stand up and do what has to be done for the sake of the church because they're making bad choices. I get that. I'm talking about going into a church and subvertively, through manipulation, try to cause disunity for your own personal goals. God didn't send that person. God desires unity with his people. We cannot and we will not unite over every part of politics. It's not going to happen. And if you noticed, I preach very rarely on anything, even in my illustrations, very rarely do I bring up politics. On the occasion, I do. Mostly for illustration, can't think of a time where I've preached on a political movement. Now, things like abortion, whatever, you know, I, I've taught on that when it's, when it's come up, when the, we talk about the innocence of the unborn and sanctity of human life, I've, I've taught on that. I don't think that's a political thing. I think that's a scriptural thing. That's a moral thing. I've taught on that. But as far as political sides of one candidate or the other, Democrats, independents, uh, Republicans, I don't preach on that. Why? I have no desire to unite over politics with you. I don't. You want my opinion? I will give it to you personally in a private room. I'm not going to give it to you here with this mic while claiming to preach the word of God. You know why? Because when people came to Christ for political understanding, Christ said, uh, I got something better to talk to you about. Pay your taxes. Do what you're supposed to. Now let's talk about eternity. You want to talk about politics from the pulpit? Pay your taxes. Do what you're supposed to. Let's talk about something more important. Now, outside of this room, you want to have a conversation about politics? Sure. Just understand this. I will tell you what I think, and you may not like that. So maybe you don't want to have that conversation. But fortunately for you and I, we don't need to have that conversation. We don't need it. I don't have to agree with you politically to unite with you eternally. To unite, to unite with you on salvation, on Christ and his heart. That's what I want to unite with you on. We have conversations about music styles and dress styles, conversations about uh, uh, what kind of discipline styles are good or not good in a family. You want to have those conversations, sir? We can have them, again, not in this pulpit. I want to talk to you about what really matters, your eternal soul. Amen. Let's unite over that. I do not, as a pastor, want to present any opportunity where there is disunity in this church because the po- someone behind the pulpit is making a political belief, a philosophical belief, something worth preaching on, causing you to choose a side. No, if I'm going to make you choose a side, I'm going to make you confronted with the choice, God's side or not God's side. Not Republicans versus Democrats. Not my side versus someone else's side on something that doesn't matter. Let's unite over salvation, the truth of God's word, the heart of God. Let us see. Those who follow truth rejoice to see others do the same. Verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. How do you know when you really love someone? You do things for them. Oh, come on. Nah, be honest. You do things for work. You don't really love work. Don't tell me you love your boss, but how many times have you done exactly what your boss asked you to do? It wasn't for love. Okay, okay. So you know you love someone when you don't, you know, when you don't abandon them, when you stick around and you hang around them all the time. Okay, again... How many people in your life, like, they drive you crazy, and yet they're still in your life? I think one sure way to know that you truly love someone 
is you find joy in their success. I'm not saying the other things aren't in love. If you do love someone, you should support them and be with them. If you do love them, you should serve them. I'm just saying they're not really great ways to determine if you love someone. When you don't fake it, when you are truly joyful at the success of others, you have to love them. There's no other, other explanation for being joyful at the success of someone else. You say, well, Pastor Russ, I felt that way about strangers. Well, that just means you're a loving person. You love strangers. <laughs> it's fine. You can love strangers. That's what the Bible says to do. Love everyone, all right? That's possible. You say, well, I find joy when everyone's successful. Then, hey, praise the Lord. Then you've done what God has asked you to do. Love all and serve all. Love all and serve all. Do you find joy when your spouse finds success you haven't achieved yet? Do you find joy when your children achieve something you never did and never will? Do you find joy when another Christian displays, because you can't know for sure, but displays what seems to be a successful life that you've been trying to achieve for years? Do you find joy in that? If you don't, your problem is love. You love yourself more and want self-success more than you do the success of others. Because true love, as we saw the other week, true love, the worthy life, will sacrifice and say, I don't need success. I'll give my success up if someone else can get it in return. I will give my success to the one I love and watch them take it further than I ever would. That's love. Love of truth bonds you in heart with others who love truth. And when you have that true bond, there is a sincere joy at the success of other children of God who achieve success. I see that in this church. You, as a church, truly want the success of others in this room. It warms my heart to see that. Now, can we reflect that out? It's great that it's in. That's where it has to start. You can't give out what you don't have in, right? It's great that it's here. I see it here on a regular basis. I see it. Let's let them see it. Let's reflect it out and desire sincerely the success of our community. And there is no greater success than to know and follow Christ. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for yet another opportunity to preach your word. As I prepare these messages, as I, as I even preach them, I just think that there are so many others better than me that could do what you've asked me to do. And once again, I'm humbled to accomplish this calling. And I, I thank you for that, that gift to love these people, and to preach your word that I love. I pray for them, those who've heard it in this room, those who've heard it online, that they would gain that same love for your truth, gain that same love for your kingdom, and that they would truly desire the success of others, that they would know truth so well that when they hear a counterfeit, when they hear a lie, they would recognize it for what it is and run back 
to the truth. Please use Meriden Hills as an ambassador of truth, always, always spoken in love. That our actions would reflect a life of truth also covered in love. That this community might see we want their success. In Jesus' name, amen.